All right, so Wagwan viewers and listeners worldwide, of course, welcome to Frivolous Gravitas. Today we're going to be analyzing cannabis, its uses, history, and recent wave of legislation around the globe. For decades, the plant was illegal on the grounds that it awarded no medicinal value and that it posed a public health risk, uh, despite the lack of evidence, scientific data, and, you know, mountains of people telling them the opposite. Uh, <laughs> We'll start off with uh, Jordan here, my delightful co-host, uh, going through some of the histories. But uh, before we get started, I just wanted to make a quick disclaimer that we are not on here. Oops, we're not on here promoting the use of illegal drugs. Uh, we just want to spread some information, and for educational purposes only, we think that if people are going to go about trying it, that they should be well informed and not uh, not just be buying into a whole bunch of nonsense spouted by either side of the aisle, whether it's pro-cannabis use, um, trying to, trying to uh, what's the word, sensationalize, I guess, the, the benefits of marijuana, or the negative sides who are trying to demonize and criminalize its use. So with that, I will let Jordan take the reins and uh, give us a little bit of background. Yeah, so um, we can look at uh, we're looking at it historically. We can see um, cannabis coming from um, the, you know, we all know what plant that is. We all know it comes from like the, it's related to hemp and all that stuff. Historically, it's always been one of those um, herbs that people have taken, much like other herbs that have had an effect, a positive effect on the body. And people um, uh, have taken it, you know, for medicinal purposes for thousands of years. This doesn't mean that it's not, um, that it's, you know, the best thing. And why have we forgotten it? No, we have never forgotten about this. Um, it's, we've also know, knew, known about, um, you know, things like alcohol, which had a, you know, certain effect on us. Although when taken too much, it can have, uh, dangerous effects on the people drinking it. Um, but the same with stuff like, um, uh, opiates and opium, which have been around for a long time. And people have known that when you take, um, you know, the stuff coming out of the, uh, poppy bulb, then, um, you can have a bit of a trip. Um, but in between those, I think more closer to alcohol is probably, um, this, uh, this substance, marijuana, which has definite useful effects, but, and there are, it's not completely innocent, but it's not as dangerous by any means as uh, they would have made out. Uh, we were talking before on how um, there was the ancient order of assassins, um, which we probably talked before we started, uh, where, um, a sect of Shia uh, Muslims were um, essentially, you know, camped out on the top of a mountain and, you know, sending out assassins, getting them high so that they wouldn't, wouldn't have their faculties there, you know, makes you very suggestible. It alters your state of mind, but um, this is kind of apocryphal, you know, it shows up in Assassin's Creed or stuff, but it's, there is a basis in history for it. Uh, fast forward to the Enlightenment when uh, scientists, the proto-scientists, the natural philosophers were taking it 
uh, to see what was going on to um, figure out, uh, you know, what is this? Does it have any, you know, positive properties? They were applying the scientific method to it to see what actually it was. We have an effect uh, from this plant on our bodies. What is it? And you get some very prominent, um, you get some very prominent, uh, what do you call them? Uh, People taking them. um, One that comes to mind immediately was like Victor Hugo. Uh, A lot of these guys and uh, the French poet scene, as far as I know, were taking this just to, you know, see something else because they were trying to unlock other forms of creativity and just maybe even chill out a bit. But well, it was there. Painters and musicians too, yeah. Yeah. And they were, it, you know, it chills you out. And it um, really only became a negative thing. Now, opiates in the 19th century caused um a lot of damage which is another episode (laughs) um we should do an episode on the opium wars that'd be a good one we should i do need to study uh about that though because i wouldn't mind giving like a full like thick lecture on yeah i'm Uh, putting that in my list (laughs) um yeah so but with marijuana it only really became a problem around the 30s and um I'm not completely studied in it, but or as to the um, political nature of it, but it revolves around ideas of you know prohibition, um, legalization of substances, and medicalization of um, uh, like the new medicalization that was being formed around uh, our in our society at the time. So you get the birth of. Uh, it's kind of a late stage of the birth of our modern medical infrastructure where you have, you know, uh, that exists the way we have it today. And I'm by no means an expert, but the result of this uh, ended up um, being targeted. One of the results of this was that it ended up being targeted as a substance of, um, you know, an evil uh substance that had deleterious effects on our society, um, particularly by a man, a man named, um, let's see what's here, Anslinger. Uh, I don't remember this guy's first name. Harry. Harry Anslinger, yes. Sorry. I'm. Uh, no worries, I'm just helping. Yeah. I, I did give blood yesterday, so bear with me. <laughs> uh, now, the um, also give blood. They need it right now. Um, and uh, so essentially what he was doing was um, you had certain acts that were coming up, <clears throat> such as like the Pure Food and Drug Act, you know, we need to make sure everyone's getting the right stuff. There was an international opium convention. Um, the, But this guy had um, come in at the 30s and essentially taken this up as his, you know, cause celeb and to further, you know, to further his political career or because he, you know, actually believed in it either way, probably both. um, He took it on himself to do to, you know, fight against this substance as a uh, thing that uh, harmed society. So what he did was he, uh, essentially cooked a bunch of books and I've got some quotes here, which are just 
uh, doozies. But what he was doing is, you know, getting pharmacists, hey, say this in to Congress or say this in this report so that we can, you know, show that the substance is actually bad. So the first thing he had to do was actually prove that the substance was, you know, bad. <laughs> so you get, you know, experts in. And we see this happening today. Uh, the same, like everyone still does this. It's been happening throughout history. It's like, prove it's, prove it's like that. Okay, here's a, here's an auger. He says the gods are mad at us. Oh, wow. They must actually be. So, uh, so. like we talked about in our last episode about drugs. <clears throat> yeah. How the drug companies fund the research for themselves for, to suit their own means. Marijuana had a lot of the same thing, but it was usually authorities or religious sects that were yeah. um, promoting the negative aspects of marijuana on phony science basically so that date back even to the 19th century though because out in uh in africa like morocco and the british colonies they were banning hashish use from from everybody including uh india i think yeah i don't indian history is uh, i'm trying to it's complicated (laughs) it's it's like well I just want to make one point about that, actually. India is so complicated for its borders alone. Like, if you try to describe an Indian tradition or an Indian culture, and you're talking about a city that has three different borders within the same city between, like, Bangladesh, India, and Pakistan, you know? (laughs) Or what's that? Yeah, well, Indian history is... Yeah, Yeah. Indian history is really interesting because... At one point in their history, someone from the outside came in and said, everyone in this area is the same. And they're all like, um, it's like someone, if someone came into Europe and said, okay, you're all Europeans now. And they're all like, yeah, Ukraine's a bit different from (laughs) England. (laughs) Yeah. So they're all like, okay. Uh, and, um, so that's a bit weird, but, um, moving on, I kind of want to get back into America. Uh, We should also mention the reason why America is important is because of their clout economically. That's a huge reason why a lot of countries banned marijuana is because as soon as the U.S. made it a felony, like a federal crime, then the banks, any banking operations that happen from an illegal crime are banned in the states as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're growing marijuana in Mexico and that farmer has a bank account to make transactions selling their marijuana, that bank can't deal at all with the U.S., and that's like yeah. a, a national crippling of their economy. So a big part of the the ban worldwide was because of the U.S. Yeah, well, to bring it up, also um, certain fascist regimes were uh, didn't look kindly on drug use if you were below the uh, <laughs> below the upper class. Um, yeah, it was and, haute couture if you were from the right class, but it was a yeah if you were too too low on the the totem pole or higher. And if you were in a communist country, you probably had more pressing things to worry about. Uh, yeah. It's like getting marijuana. I can't even get food. Uh, so um, the Americans were – so this guy in particular had been looking at criminal convictions and saying, oh, it raises crime. But like, you know, another guy pointed out that, uh, you know, he – oh, Dr. Walter Bloomberg reported that uh, – you know, in a group of over 2,000 criminal convictions, uh, none. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm I'm got this backwards. He had actually linked it to criminal convictions, so the criminals were doing it. But what this was being pointed to was a very 
um, kind of exotic danger. Uh, so it was the Mexicans. It was the um, it was the Mexican influence on our society. It was the uh, it was the 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 Negro thing that they did that you know we don't do this because we're so it was very actually a racist thing. And I'm hesitant to call things racist nowadays because everyone loves using this word, which is why I have to emphasize this because this is actually an instance of racism. Uh, we use it too much in our society, and so when I have to use it properly it loses some influence. So when I say this is racist, I mean, this is actually willful racism because the prison we, industrial complex and everything trying to fill up prisons and taking well, tax dollars for prison contracts. Cause they're privately owned mostly in the States. Yeah. It's even, it's even, but it was also indentured servitude because the prisoners could be put to work for almost zero pay. Yeah. So they made huge amounts of money by criminalizing something that's so innocuous. It's, you know, $10 for a gram. But if you get three strikes in the States for felonies, you go to jail. There's a minimum sentence requirement for, for getting. I don't even want to think it's like, I'm hesitant to even say that it's that well thought out. I would, I would venture that it is more along the lines of, I don't like black people. This will put them in their place. (laughs) Money's always behind everything. Oh, I know. Like that's (laughs) that to me, that's secondary. Um, Now, Beyond that, you get stuff coming out of that like this, like uh, they would character, they'd, uh, they essentially, this guy put on a campaign. This guy was more of a marketing machine than a, uh, than an actual politician because he started this, this marketing machine, uh, you know, hashish makes a murderer who kills for the love of killing. So this thing, like, so they got, they were changing public opinion in a way that's, uh, would, you know, make Walter Lippmann cringe. Um, so you get, and it's very racially based. So you get stuff like two Negroes took a 14 year old girl and kept her for two days under the influence of hemp upon recovery. She was found to be suffering from syphilis or here's my favorite because not favorite as in, I like it. Favorite is in this is insane. Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. What? <laughs> the That's actual- brutal. That's brutal. It's, it's, it's insane. And just because I'm quoting this doesn't mean I believe this. Think harder about your accusations if you're going to use this against me. Um, and um, there's more like this you can find. Uh, it's also connected with um, jazz. So jazz, reefer, they were creating this underculture, which also coincides with... Um, uh, what do you call that stuff? It was the clubs they were targeting because there yeah. were so many black people in the club. Yeah, and you get like zoot suit culture as well also comes out. Um, and so all this subculture uh, or... Um, to put this into some context though, if you take yeah. survey data from all that time even, uh, well, we presume that it backdates, but uh, white people took and use and consume marijuana at roughly the same rate as black people did and Hispanic yeah. people. But the criminality of it, um, white people almost never went to jail for possession. And when they couldn't get a, a, a known other criminal, somebody who they be- suspected or believed was doing other crimes, they'd fall back to the weed possession as a crime just so that they'd get probable cause for warrants to search them and all kinds of abuse of, of authority like that. So having weed as criminalized allowed them to violate human rights and civil rights for decades 
and it was a huge power grab for the for the uh, the police and authorities and uh, DEAs and all that because they could use it as sort of this catch-all blank blank check to uh, to basically harass and assault people <laughs> to put it bluntly without yeah gun. yeah so um that's exactly uh, that's that's exactly right and this even comes down to um the dubious etymology of the word marijuana which you were looking up before um a lot of times uh, it seems like anslinger just picked it because it had a foreign flavor there was a chinese relation to the word marijuana um but there was a lot of other words for it and this one just sounded good and it sounded foreign so it's like we're gonna get rid of the marijuana and what ends up being is you get this demonization of a thing that um for you know 20 years until you get the uh 60s and 70s um pro drug movements which was dubious in their aims um if you want if you're interested in some of that culture go read um the electric Kool-Aid acid test by Tom Wolf. Um, and also go read anything by Tom Wolf because he's an amazing writer. <laughs> um, and, um, the, uh, that's not so much a condemnation as in a, uh, expose of, you know, the LSD scene in the sixties. But, um, what was happening was these people were, uh, the hippies were, pushing for legalization of marijuana because you know they wanted to take it without getting arrested also they thought it was good now they weren't so much right about things like heroin which i think we can all agree doesn't really have much recreational uh merit but um the reason we're having this episode is because we have found medicinal and recreational merit to this substance and as a society and as an individual, like even myself, who has been hesitant and even was, you know, I don't like putting medication into my body that I don't understand. I will talk to the pharmacist and the doctor ad nauseum until they kick me out of their office, which has actually literally happened. It's like my time's over. Go away, please. Uh and uh for the record for there is med medicinal use for heroin though like even in oh, uk yeah. they still use it for c-section patients like on a regular basis right but as recently as, 10 years as a ago. recreational drug i well, i take heroin recreationally it's like oh wow i'm not that's the point of the word recreational it means yeah. not medicinal <laughs> yeah so um bef I, uh, so in the 60s you had this big push and then it was because the hippies were pushing this it became the marijuana became another easy target because of the whole era you know um hippie movement um which was you know it became the counterculture and the counterculture was an easy target and you get that that polarization that happened briefly in the 60s and early 70s um during like things like the vietnam war so you know just like you see today you had that polarization anti-vietnam war uh you get like the black panthers you get uh you know hippies you get drug use but like then on the other side you have pro vietnam war and it's just like 
you know, this, that, and the other. So it, it's an easy dichotomy to make and they took advantage of it. But the thing was, is that it hadn't gone away, even though all the hippies sold out and, you know, the Vietnam War ended and the 80s happened. Um, <laughs> the thing is, is that marijuana hadn't been quashed. It was still, it, it, it was still thriving on its merits, um, even after that. Um, you know, people start taking cocaine and people start seeing the dangers of cocaine. People start writing songs about cocaine and they're, they're there, I guess. But, um, it's still pervasive. You can get, you get someone like Carl Sagan saying something like the legal legality, the illegality of cannabis is outrageous and an impediment to the full utilization of a drug, which helps produce the serenity and insight, sensitivity and fellowship. So desperately needed in this increasingly mad and dangerous world. And this is someone who it's really hard to demonize in our society. I have trouble thinking about, a vice this man had, and I wouldn't call that a vice. Um, I can't he, think of many people who had more positive influence yeah. on an entire generation of people. Like yeah. the Cosmos is the birth of all these science shows that we watch today, and not just the popular ones, but like the global ones on YouTube. They're all giving credit to Carl Sagan for the way he um, he presented complicated matter to the public in an accessible way. Yeah. So that stars and nuclear reactions weren't just black box magic hand wavy stuff it was material reality where we came from and how our bodies produce and synthesize molecules to become human beings that you know function and operate and philosophize and and whatnot but, but carl did. sagan saying something like that at that time shows that his insight was so far ahead of his time i mean it's hard to under to overstate that yeah, I, uh, he's still readable. All of his books are still, well, some of the science is out of date, but the his his treatment of like here's how a star works, and then isn't that wondrous? And then you can feel the wonder of science. It's just like oh, it's just math. It's like no, there's there's something there, and this is an appeal to personality and authority, but he's used it, and he actually still produced results, and like. He wrote a lot of books that are still readable today, um, that are still valid and reasonable. You can still watch Cosmos, his series from the eighties as it's as, um, without irony as a intel, uh, an educational piece, the science still works and we've learned more and you can take that into account. Oh, that's not true anymore. We learn better, um, this and that and the other, but there's still, the approach is still, um, for the most part valid and for him to come up with that while using this substance, you know, should give you a bit of pause. Now we're getting into the very modern era where, um, the debate starts to get serious and the, 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 the counter debate starts to become, um, legitimate. Um, it's not just people throwing up peace signs going like legalized weed. It's people making legitimate arguments in legitimate uh, political spheres and people taking those arguments seriously and more and more seriously. Um, you brought up beforehand, uh, that in 2001 medicinal marijuana was legalized, which was lampooned in the media, but it 
brought a lot of help to people, you know, oh my glaucoma, I need it. And it's just, or especially cancer patients, like more yes. than anything, somebody facing end of life at 93 years old, really, what are they going to damage? Yeah. Whose life are they going to screw up by, by smoking some weed for $10 if it helps them? You know what I mean? Yeah. They were just, they were forbidding people from easing their suffering for no other reason other than political gain or um, public perception. And it's these public service announcements that started, I guess, with Hen Harry Ainslinger with the reefer madness campaigns where they show people going all crazy and starting <laughs> injecting other drugs or leading them to murder people, like just absolute nonsense. But because it was illegal because of these campaigns and because of the public perception, for decades, people went suffering with a really cheap and homegrown cure or treatment, not a cure, but a homegrown treatment for very serious disease and ailments. And they were prevented from, from accessing it for no, no other reason than personal benefit by politicians, mm. which I think itself should be more criminal than the weed. Yeah. <laughs> it should be more criminal to cause human suffering needlessly than it is to prevent people from recreational use of anything. Well, it's, it's, it's insulting because it's that whole idea that's just a gateway drug. And it's like, okay, I've taken CBD and THC oil for insomnia, which I'm going to get into later. Um, but to assume that because I've taken this, I'm doing it for, you know, I'm doing it unconsciously or I'm not thinking about what I'm talking about or that I can't control myself from just, oh, well, I've done this, so I might as well just shoot myself in the leg. It's like, come on, you're not taking your, well, I guess in the, you're not taking the public, you're not taking the electorate, you're not taking individuals. Um, yes, there are individuals. Um, seriously enough and trusting them enough see episode like two or something uh to you know moderate their actions and yeah people slip but at the same time people can also get up from slipping um even if they do end up you know trying going down a dark path they can come back from a dark path or they can resist a dark path and that doesn't even mean that the line from marijuana is heroin. That mostly means maybe you're making some other bad choices in your life that have nothing really to do with the substance. Um, because, well. And we should probably keep that into context too. Because yeah. realistically, if somebody's seeking help for something and they're trying other drugs, whether they're harder drugs or not, that, that's, that's indication of a problem that's not being addressed. Right. That's well, a, a medical problem, first of all. Right. There's Nobody's a difference. Well, there's a difference between having a beer every night or enjoying a, uh, uh, like a, a couple fingers of whiskey, you know, once a week or so, uh, as a, you know, a Epicurean pleasure, um, and drinking to get drunk. Um, it's like, there's a difference between that. And that is that when you, approach these topics with the without that nuance you get stuff like Ainslinger was doing um and the you know uh even like alcohol prohibition well people can't be trusted to do this it's like thanks for believing in me <laughs> but what's worse is we can't trust people to police it that's just fact. Yeah. we yeah. can't trust police to police prohibition right because when you make it an all or nothing issue then 
you know, it, it, just don't do it. It's like, you mean just don't do it. <laughs> but the thing, the thing that really bothers me about it, though, is if somebody's seeking relief from a drug, whatever mm. that reason is, whether it's emotional, it's not because they stub their toe. Nobody stubs their toe and then ties a wrap to their arm and cooks up a batch of heroin because their, their toe hurts. Like you're talking about persistent chronic pain that's not being addressed by a medical professional. Right. And they're taking drugs personally and doing it dangerously because they can't talk to a medical professional about their drug use even, never mind the underlying cause of the drug use. Mm -hmm. So the issue to me, if it was a public uh, health issue right from the beginning or a security issue or a police issue or whatever, right from the beginning, we should be asking, why are these people willing to throw their lives away for a drug? And that goes for marijuana too, because a lot of people can take marijuana excessively and uh, withdraw from society, maybe miss some work or be less effective. Or so it's it's not that it's completely harmless, but it's like any other drug we take, not just alcohol and but like sugar. We have to be responsible yeah. with our sugar. We have a diabetes epidemic and an obesity epidemic, so we're clearly not doing that. Again, that's a public health issue, but we're not out there regulating people's sugar intake because a teaspoon of sugar is just as small as a bag of weed. Plus like, sugar does have like sugar does have very positive effects. If you are low blood sugar, sugar will actually help you. It'll Go save your life. Yeah. Yeah. And so moderation is key and you use that word and I think that really needs to be underlined because the moderation of any drug, whether it's recreational or just a substance used for a little pick-me-up or euphoria or a party, the point is the moderation actually provides a benefit to your life, even if it's just to have fun. We're mm. human beings and endorphins are released from our social behaviors and our social behaviors can, or um, our recreational drug use, including alcohol and stuff, can lower our inhibitions. So people with anxiety or depression and things like that who have difficulty engaging with other people, this type of drug isn't just about the high they get from the drug. It's the social benefit they get from being able to do things they weren't able to do before. And that's why we call it a treatment. Right. It's not curing the underlying problem, but it's helping them expose themselves to situations and people and loving relationships and uh, things that help their underlying conditions, not the weed itself or the alcohol itself. That's right. definitely not good for your body, but the benefits you get can be net positive if you do things in moderation. Right. And Which is why it often gets overlooked. Like I've never really needed, this is why I don't drink. Um, surprise, I don't drink. Uh, but it's not because I have, well, I used to have when I was like a teenager, it's like, ooh, holier than thou attitude, but I was a dumb teenager. Well, that's a tautology, but whatever. Um, but the, thing is, is that I go to a party and I don't need, like I'm at a party. I'm going to act as if I'm at a party. I don't need the alcohol to let loose. And I don't want, I don't even want to be like, I've had, I've gotten, um, uh, the effects of marijuana on my body. And I find that like, that's not the state I want to be in at a party. I want to be in consciously enjoying the people around me. And to me, what I see a lot of times is the people that can't moderate the behavior um, or they're just immature about it uh, will end up, you know, they'll drinking just for the sake of drinking. They'll think that the party, that the drink or the marijuana, uh, the cannabis, whatever itself is the party. No, no, no. That's the thing that enhances the party. That's what allows the what's already happening to be better. That's it. It's not the party itself. And it's a, almost a tool. Um, 
And to me, when you think about it like that, it helps you moderate it. I don't want to drink too much. I want to drink just the right amount to enjoy this party, to enjoy my night outs. And I want to smoke just the right amount to get me. And you should know what that is. Okay, this amount gets me to sleep. This amount, um, you know, and you experiment with it. This amount is way too much. This amount is the perfect for, you know, just relaxing. And this amount is perfect for a party. You should know these things. I know what's, uh, but um, it's the same for drinking. Um, now, I think this, I'm going to try and segue in here by uh, just the meta segue uh, <laughs> into uh, asking you actually, um, how does this substance actually work? Yeah, well, I think to start off, maybe I'll just describe the plant a little bit, just so we know what we're talking about. Oh, please do. Yeah, so there's a cannabis plant, and there are very many different species and varieties, that, or not species, but um, genus of the plant. So you can get really big, tall, bushy ones. You can get short, stocky, skinny ones. Um, the most prominent are, uh, um, should, sorry, brain fart, indica and sativa, and then there's also like a robusto or something like that, but that one doesn't really have the the neurological effects, so people don't generally grow it or smoke it or eat it or anything. It's, it's just not hemp. as robusto. Yeah, it's <laughs> like coffee. There's a robusto coffee, but I can't remember the name for the weed one. But anyway, it's not relevant to our discussion, so I, I won't even bother dwelling on it. Um, so the indicas are usually like short, fatter plants, and they'll give you that um, that really heavy stone, and that's that's the plant that usually people use to help them with uh, nausea or sleeping uh, or if you're trying to extract THC the indica plants have a higher uh, higher variety of THC or THC and cannabinoids like all the different there's like a thousand different chemicals inside uh, uh, marijuana plants the sativas are usually uh, leafier and broader spread so you can tell the difference just by looking at the leaves the sativas will have long thin leaves like this and they'll be a little bit spindly and narrow they don't produce as much, so their yield is lower when when they're being harvested. But the benefit to the sativa plant is usually people feel more energetic from it, so it's more of a daytime thing. That's the type of marijuana you might want to take as um, uh, for pain relief in the morning if if you need something to to help you move, say with arthritis pain or fibromyalgia or MS or something like that. Uh, generally not used to help people sleep, but used with the indicas. Some people find a different benefit from combining the two. So there are also hybrid plants that are like 30%, 70% indica to sativa or 70-30. And you can find all these types of varieties just from breeders crossbreeding for so many years. And farmers generally like to uh, put names on their... On their oh, they're always what so do they bad. Call it? Selective bred genes yeah. or whatever. And they, they submit them for to the Cannabis Cup and stuff for awards and... They test their potency. So there's this, this underculture of just farmers having fun with it. But on the same at the same time, what they're also doing is advertising their product's qualities. So it's not that you want the strongest weed all the time. That's not the point. For some plants, that's the point. And they'll breed some plants just to be as potent as possible. But again, that's just how we farm for wheat and apples and everything. We, mm -hmm. we want some that just produce tons of the active ingredient that you want or the fruit from the plant. Well, it's just selective breeding and uh, genetically modifying it to get what you want, like pear apples, which are kind of tasty, but 
I prefer a pear or an apple, but the fact yeah. that they can make them is cool. It's, they're there if you want it. Well, yeah, and it's just like apples where there's hundreds of varieties of, or thousands maybe even of apples. I know for sure there's hundreds of varieties of apples in all different colors, and that's just crossbreeding. Mm-hmm. And make no mistake, anytime that you do something specific to change the properties of uh, genetic properties of an organism, that's a GMO. <laughs> so just because weed is natural, if you're against GMOs, you're against weed because you can't get an original marijuana plant anymore. It's just been crossbred so much, just like corn and maize or whatever. Well, it's uh, my favorite. There is, is no that, original one. My favorite is that with um, uh, carrots. Carrots used to not all be yeah, orange. They were mostly, <laughs> these would be like that big and they used to all be like purple. And the uh, Dutch... Uh, bred them to be orange because that's their color uh, <laughs> because of like the uh, the because um, the king of orange and whatnot and the duke of orange yeah, it's the same as we do with cats and dogs too like a purebred mm-hmm. is actually a GMO <laughs> mm-hmm. anytime you get a purebred dog it's because they've inbred it so much that it's changed its genetic and physical structure yeah so with plants that's uh, that happens all the time it's not dangerous it's not uh, it's not anything unique or scary. It's it's literally the same as we do for all of our food supplies. Um, so moving on then, um, the flower is usually where the uh, the trichomes that the little the white crystals and uh, the resins from the plant that have the highest concentrations of the THC and CBD and all the other cannabinoids. They're, uh, it's usually the flower that people are buying and selling. And what they'll do is they'll harvest the flower from the female plant and they'll dry it out. And then it can be either crushed up and rolled up and smoked, or they can extract from the resins just by drying it out and tamping it down on a, on a screen filter and letting all the resins fall down below and all the little shavings stay on top. Uh, it's really not much of a scientific process. It can be done from from like somebody's backyard or in their their gazebo or garage or something and that's why grow ops are so hard to find because unless somebody has a huge body of plants in their house and stinks up the entire neighborhood one or two plants could produce enough for most people's recreational use for an entire year but because it's illegal people have to go to drug dealers and do the dangerous route in order to obtain it so the cure the social cure of making something illegal and prohibition has caused more harm than the actual plant itself because by not being able to grow it yourself you have no idea what other people are adulterating their their product with well i can just i can drive that in by asking the question of the audience would you trust your drug dealer (laughs) yeah with your baby or something (laughs) yeah so that that should answer all your questions all right and a lot of times they have an incentive to make money because that's their job right so when they lace a product like when they lace their their marijuana to sell it for more potency because there's enough people who want to buy a potent because then it's cheaper you don't have to smoke as much to get the same effects so you know it's it's sort of added value but it's perceived added value because they're adding chemicals to get you higher so that you buy more from them thinking that their product is better so it's more dangerous to have drug dealers than to have a pharmacist selling it mm. or a head shop or something where they, they actually tell you the potency of the and the variety and the genus and the background and which strain it is like yeah um, i'm finding a lot of the um at least the ones in my area um i'll bring my wife in who knows all the pharmaceutical stuff 
and I'll ask them about, oh, what's so the dosage and what do I'm, what am I looking for here? And how is this going to be absorbed by my body? And they'll just be like, it gets you high. And I'll be like, oh, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're almost useless when you ask for like advice for, you know, should I smoke this or should I eat it? They'll just be like, oh, you know, try both. <laughs> yeah. I'm sick. It's not that it's bad advice, but it's just that they're not qualified to be helpful in, in a way that um, a pharmacist or a doctor would be. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what you want from a drug. You don't want people taking it just haphazardly without knowing anything about the pharmacology of it. You'd want them to be well-informed in order for them to make wise decisions about their own moderation of consumption. Right, because they're and, thinking it like their, their business model right now is much more akin to a tobacconist than a uh, pharmacist when a tobacconist is like you are buying this uh, for the flavor not because it's like healthy for you we know it's not healthy for you duh but like there is something pleasurable about good tobacco Um, like I hate when people smoke cigarettes around me but if someone's smoking a good cigar around me I don't care Um, my asthma probably doesn't like it a bit but it smells good. It's got a good musk. And, but with I weed. I love my cigars. <laughs> I know. That's what's, I remember on a birthday like 10 years ago, you let it went up. It's like, is this oh, okay? Really? I'm like, dude, it smells great. <laughs> Where did you get that? I won't take a puff, but I'll like, it, it, it's, it smells good. It's like an incense. Yeah, except not musty. Danky. <laughs> I don't like incense. Um, and, it's just like, oh, it's got a good energy. It's like, then how come I'm not enjoying it? <laughs> but um, the the thing with weed is that it has a medicinal, not medicinal, has a chemical effect on your body. And that needs to be, um, and it's going to be different because every drug reacts differently to different people for the most part uh, with um, within a set of, you know, possibilities. Um, there's a bell curve there and the, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't treat it like a, uh, um, like a recreational thing purely. You have to be treating it as, you know, a bit scientifically. And that's kind of one of the things that the, uh, we kind of were giving up in Canada was, um, the ability to think of it as, you know, this outsider thing. Okay. We'll give that up and, but, and we'll treat it with respect and we'll, we'll use it with respect. And so you go out in these places, they're all have to be clean and they're all clean for the most part. And you know, you, they're all like, there's marketing and stuff and they're still trying to figure it out. And standardization isn't even there yet. Um, and what, you get is kind of you know I, I would like more i guess what i'm saying is just i want more of that um pharmaceutical uh yeah the professional aspect. professionalism and like that's when I, and I say this all the time professionalism beats enthusiasm hands down every time no matter what um yeah. always the pragmatist <laughs> well i i learned that at my wedding actually it's like oh i want everything to be great but then i'm just like no this woman knows what she's doing i'm just gonna let her do oh the dj he knows what he's doing <laughs> He's just like, I got you. And then I learned that lesson really uh, in a good way. Not like, a, oh, I should have known. But 
Um, but so, so just moving on then from, yeah. I'm just going to explain some more of the chemicals that go into it and then I'll, I'll talk a, a bit about how they help people. Yeah. Thank uh, you for so the, trying to end my ramble there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the two main ingredients that most people are looking for is cannabidiol, which is usually referred to as CBD because it's too hard to say. So it's C like Charlie, B like beta, D like Delta, uh, CBD has been known, but not extensively studied to encourage apoptosis in cells, which is the uh, I should die mechanism of a cell. And you might think that that's terrible, but the opposite of that is cancer. When cells are malignant and they proliferate and they cause obstructions like tumors, um, you want the cells to say, okay, my life's done, my job's done, I need, need to become fecal matter now. And when they don't do that, you have life-threatening illnesses and not just cancer, but especially cancer. So apoptosis is really important, and cannabidiol, if uh, at least in petri dishes and you know colloquially with uh, with cancer patients, a lot of times you can actually put a cancer into remission because of CBD. Not every time; it's not a cure for cancer; it's a treatment for cancer. It'll slow the progression because the chemical uh, in the cannabinoid system stimulates apoptosis in all of your cells in your bloodstream because when you smoke it it goes into your lungs and the only thing your lungs do is transfer things into your blood that's why it's so quick to to respond but cannabidiol itself can be absorbed under the tongue through like concentrates or oils and that's usually the preferred method of administration because then you're not getting tar and smoke and carcinogens in your lungs so most people take cannabidiol because it doesn't get you high but it does give you a lot of the benefits of uh, the plant itself. Now, the neat thing about cannabidiol, as opposed to THC, and I won't even try to pronounce the tetrahydric blah, 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 of THC. THC <laughs> is usually what people want when or, or speak about when they're doing marijuana. That's the euphoric sensation. It's the appetite. It's the sleep. Uh, it, it's all the the really active ingredient is THC, but that's not to say it's the only one. It's just the primary active ingredient. That's why we can label it and point it out and say THC content equals potency because it's that much more effective than the other hundreds of cannabinoids in the plant. But when combined, the THC and the CBD, the CBD reduces the high you feel from the THC but gives you all the benefits of the cannabinoids in them because they don't counter, they don't, uh, they're not antagonists of each of themselves. They're agonists. So they, they promote the chemical structures um, effects in the body. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. Don't take anything that I say as like medical opinion. I'm just trying to offer some information so you know where to look to verify for yourself what you should be looking for. If you're considering trying a treatment that's uh, got some cannabinoid connection to it, <laughs> whether that's smoking weed or taking oils or anything like that. So the final thing I want to say just on the flour and the potency and all that is the methods of ingestion. Um, you can take THC by eating it. You can still get high, but it's a completely different effect uh, as far as the body goes for the person who's taking it. Uh, as I said before, when you smoke it, it's almost instant. Um, you can feel it like within a few seconds and then it, it's half life is I think 10 to 15 minutes usually, but the effects of it will slowly degrade over the day. So it's not, it's not like you'll be fine after 30 minutes, you'll still be high in 30 minutes 
And in two hours, you'll still be feeling the that calming, uh, loose sort of feeling from it. Um, so I think it takes about a month to clear your system through the urine. I'm not positive on that, but if you're if you're doing anything where you need to take a blood test or, or uh, a drug test or anything like that, just be aware that it's like poppies will come out of your system in a couple of days, cocaine in a couple of weeks. Marijuana really stays in your system for a long time, even long after you don't feel it anymore. And that's another key indicator that the, the drug and the plant is beneficial for the body because if... The cannabinoids only caused apoptosis once in a while or relieved anxiety while you were high or something like that. It would only be like an acute treatment, kind of like benzodiazepines are, where you just take it the moment you need it and then it goes away and it fades away. Marijuana staying in your system is actually a really, it's a good sign that if it's an effective treatment for something like cancer, it means no matter how you administer it, it's still getting to the spot that you want it to. And it's it's got a lasting effect um, on the body, regardless of whether you're high or not for the rest of that month. <laughs> mm. But it's a good point to point out that it's not just going to flush out of your system. So one, be cautious if you're traveling internationally or if you have a job where you need to take blood tests. But two, that it's medicinal effects, even if you don't use it every day, are still very prominent in your body. So if you find effects, but you don't like getting high, you could try it maybe once a week and that might be sufficient to achieve the treatment goals that you set out for yourself. You don't have to take it every day, like most medications, uh, which is a plus, because the idea is to not take more than you need for right. something that's medical. Obviously, recreationally, you can take more if you want, but overdosing is nearly impossible, uh, unless you eat pounds of it, like an absurd amount. Unless you're trying to hurt yourself, you won't. The worst effects from it, you might feel a bit nauseous, um, usually paranoia. So feeling afraid is still a very real thing and it's uncomfortable, but just know that it's not going to hurt you, like physically hurt you. Uh, if you do have a bad experience with it, just sit still and wait, uh, drink water, do nothing. <laughs> it'll, it'll pass. If you don't pass out, like just fall asleep, it'll, it'll, it'll pass. It's not as dangerous as Tylenol or, or as I said, benzodiazepines or anything like that. Yeah. And that's a really crucial point to note, too, because Tylenol is one of the leading killers uh, next to like opioids and alcohol and driving and heart disease, actually, too. Driving is like one of the worst. Yeah, Tylenol is really high up there. And it's the first thing they give everybody in the ER, even in the waiting room before you, you see a doctor, they'll, they'll offer everybody Tylenol and codeine, which yeah. I think is insane. But that's yeah. their practice. And I'm not a doctor. So what do I know? Well, they're moving away from it, but I think that's a Megan episode. Yeah, um, probably. One thing I noticed, um, and now I guess I could get into my thing is, uh, although in response to that, I'm kind of glad to be in Canada now because uh, it's like you've got weed in your system. I'm like, so? <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> um, but um, I've been – so one of the reasons that I'm kind of interested in this lately is because I've been dealing with um, insomnia since I was – porn um but uh so i've had trouble getting to sleep forever and there hasn't been any really rhyme or reason to it i have insomnia when i'm you know having good times i have insomnia during high stress times i have insomnia when i'm you know uh still have energy at night i have insomnia when i'm absolutely exhausted i have no energy left 
so I changed, like I've worked out a bunch of different ways to deal with it. Um, melatonin doesn't have, it gets me sleepy, but it doesn't relax me. Uh, the, the, the diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl, uh, will put me to sleep, but I'm groggy the next morning and I'm not doing well. So I said, okay, I'm going to try something different. I tried to get, I, I'm very wary of, um, you know, prescription mus muscle relaxants and I'm very wary of, um, what do you call those? Um, antihistamines? Well, no, uh, diphenhydramine is an antihistamine, <clears throat> but, um, like muscle relaxants or oh, antidepressants. And because I don't think those are meant for sleep, are they? They can be. Um, I know antipsychotics are, but I didn't think yeah, antidepressants were. Well, it's I, I don't want to like some of them. Like they all come with like weird uh, trade offs, and I'm just like I don't want to deal with that. Let's try something death. a little. <laughs> death will die. May cause like, death. Yeah, but at least I'll be asleep. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's an effective treatment for sleep. Yeah. There's <laughs> uh, quicker and easier ways, but. Um, Oh man, that's gonna get us demonetized, isn't it? Ah, um, fuck YouTube. I'm not suicidal. Blah blah <laughs> blah. I have too much good stuff going on. Um, now, including this, love you guys. Anyway, <laughs> um, the 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 thing I, I I went I was curious about um, cannabis uh, and specifically CBD. So how I went about it was, you know, I stopped taking. Um, I kept. Try, I kept uh, the melatonin. I tried, you know, going to sleep on a day that I didn't have too much responsibility the next day. And I just took some CBD and I don't, and then I took a bit of THC and I just kept increasing the dose to see what it was, what, like how it worked. And I started very, very, very small. Um, and the reason I didn't want, I've been taking oil because I don't want to smoke it because I don't want to smoke it. Uh, and I, um, I don't, it produces more of a smell and I, and I'm not, I'm not particularly fond of that smell. Plus I have, they don't know how it affect my asthma. Either way, oil is what I want. So I, I looked at, so what I did there was essentially I looked at the available options and saw what would best work for my lifestyle and my, 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 the, what I was trying to do and what I wanted. So I timed it because it usually kicks in in about two hours. What I find is THC gets me giggly. It, I lose my sense of, um, I guess the time, the continuum of time and everything just happens in the moment. And I feel like I understand everything, even though I don't. It's, 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 it triggers my, you get this feeling in my brain, which was really interesting. Um, which now having taken this, I understand that. I can see the universe, blah, 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 blah. You understand everything, but when you come out of it, it's all like a dream. So I guess my advice would be just because you understand it while you're high doesn't mean me, doesn't mean you actually understand it. <laughs> now, what happens is I ended up going to sleep seemingly naturally and I got up naturally and had energy and I, um, I'm not, this is not a do this. You can have this too. This works for me. Um, but I'm essentially showing that I'm not becoming a, you know, gangster. I'm not, um, I'm not breaking Coke bottles and drinking the glass. Um, we're going to post that ad in the, uh, in the, in the thing so you guys can see that. Um, I'm yeah, not for madness was hilarious. Yeah. 
I mean, not... it wouldn't be funny if they took it, didn't take it, or it would be more funny if they didn't take it seriously, but people really believed it. Yeah. And so what I found out was, um, I found out through a couple weeks of experimentation, what the upper limit was, what the lower limits were, how much CBD and how much THC would put me to sleep comfortably and give me a good, uh, relaxed sleep. And, um, so the way I went about this is the way I think is probably the better way to do it almost scientifically. Um, and so now I find that a certain number of, uh, milliliters of milligrams, milliliters of it's on the bottle. I've got it written. Um, and essentially two squirts of THC and two squirts of the CBD stuff get me to sleep with very little else stuff. And I plan it so that when I'm, you know, when I put my head down, there's about 10, 15 minutes before it all kicks in. So, and this seems to work. Not 100% because, you know, I still have insomnia, but it puts me, it gets my body to settle down. Now, if anyone, and a lot of you do know me, you know how high energy I can be um, sometimes. So, you can understand my problem. Sometimes, here. yeah. Sometimes. Only about... 95% of the time. Uh, <laughs> when I'm not sleeping. Yeah. When I'm, <laughs> even then. So, um, one, so I'm usually very, very hesitant to try things like this. I, for a long time, I didn't take, I didn't even take Advil or even Tylenol. Like we were just talking, I was like painkillers. I can suffer through this. I think I went through H1N1 and I took like two Advil, <laughs> but, um, which looking back was stupid. Um, it wasn't cause like, I'm going to do this and it's going to be hardcore. It's like, I had that very like, um, anti-pharmaceutical, which was anything. Um, but can I just make a point there? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's at all stupid to have a personal preference. And the reason I say that is cause we don't know enough to say that getting H1N1 for instance, and letting your body fix it maybe is more beneficial for you long-term. Like we don't actually know how the body works and no scientist does. What we know is how certain things work. And when those right. certain things are useful or productive, we should be free to try them and make a decision for ourselves. What's good and what's not. I started smoking marijuana when I was very young and like without a doctor's four. help or, or anything, I didn't do it responsibly for the first little bit, but having needed it, it was such a huge relief that I, no matter what people were saying, it was so terrible. I couldn't possibly believe them because I, I could I was feel even... the benefit. I knew it was helping me sleep. And when I was underweight, it was helping me eat. And when I had my OCD tensions or whatever, my ritual loops and stuff I fall into, it breaks stuff like that and helped me live a normal life long before there, there was like approved uses for it. Mm -hmm. And I say that because not to boast or brag that I was doing it because I'm not proud of it. I was mostly ashamed of it. I didn't mostly talk to my friends or do it in front of my friends for years. What, what was really terrible and like looking back in hindsight is that they made me feel guilty for seeking help for a medical condition. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is heinous in and of itself. Like that is a problem when for us as a society, when patients feel guilty for being sick. Yeah. And especially kids, but I, I just, 
I wanted to point out that I don't think it's wrong for people to, to choose not to take certain medications because technically we don't know everything. But when things help, I think the worst thing we can do is discourage people or make them feel like piles of trash like Ainslinger well, did. The thing is, is that we do know a lot. And what we do know is that this works and does this specific thing. But the problem is, is that we do know a lot about a lot of things. But we should know more about this. And we're only starting to do, um, as a society in Canada and in America, we're only starting to do uh, tests. But the problem with the tests is that they're, you know, we need people who smoke marijuana. But a lot of times they're going to these people. And honestly, I, I don't have a very high opinion of the people who are like, oh, just take marijuana and all society will be solved just because it makes them feel really good. But um, everyone will have a sense of peace and understanding and love and compassion. It's like, it helps me get to sleep, which I guess makes me more compassionate. When I don't get sleep, I'm uh, <laughs> not very compassionate, but I don't think it's going to do that. That and the other side of it is the the stoners. Um, those yeah, and maybe we should talk about side effects, like the actual negative side effects, instead of just glossing over. Right. But... Uh, let me just finish first, because that is worth getting into. I thought you were getting into that, sorry. Oh, well, yeah, this will get there. But one of the things is that a lot of these studies that are being done right now are being done only by people who are um, already in the culture. We're not doing it on like, we need to get a bunch of senior citizens who have never taken it before. We need, like, we need to be approaching this scientifically, but right now we're only taking people who have a long, long history of uh marijuana use and they're gonna be very biased when what we need isn't bias we need data and we know it's beneficial we just need to know why it's beneficial we don't need more studies saying marijuana is great check mark no we need to know the mechanisms we know need to know how it affects different people because like you said it makes some people paranoid but then in other people it makes them feel like everything is like uh, what was it you said to me it's just the feeling of euphoria uh, manic euphoria and that's it feels good i didn't get that maybe i did and just didn't enjoy it <laughs> just like, <"Ugh." laughs> but um yeah, for me it's closer to a feeling of relief than euphoria mm -hmm. but i can imagine if somebody was always feeling relief like they didn't have me medical problems with chronic illness or whatever then they would probably well and if you're not, not dealing with your if euphoric if you're not dealing with your real world problems and you got stress from dealing with your problems or not dealing with them, because which is actually more stressful, uh, then you you take this, you um, you you hit it, you feel that relief, and then you're relieved. Ah, oh, nothing. There's no problems, and then you just like you're not doing the like. This is not responsible. You need to fix your problems before you get high, um, because that also makes high better because you know if you go into it relaxed well guess what you're gonna be more relaxed when it hits you it's uh similar with um like acid and stuff if you take it and you're having a bad day you're gonna have a bad trip um but but again uh, everybody's different everyone's different Even we don't know why <laughs> because we haven't done the studies and right now we're only starting the studies so let's move into um side effects besides well, maybe we could take a big a uh, bit of a break yeah i gotta run okay i also have uh, to 
when we come back from the break, then we'll discuss some of the side effects and where we think uh, marijuana is going in the future, culturally, socially, Into personally, space. medically, all that kind of jazz. Space. Again. All right. <laughs> See you. Come back for part two. <laughs>